This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And longtime listeners, like from years ago, will remember that when we first started doing this program, it focused on social media. So we're really getting back to our roots today. So I am so excited about this guest because we're going to be talking about social media. It is still here. You know, how many times over the years have we heard, Facebook's going to die. We don't need LinkedIn. You know, all of those various things because people thought, oh, these are passing fads. And of course, they're just getting bigger and bigger and we're adding platforms all the time. And if you're going to be in business, you have to be there. You know, let's just be honest about that. So I am so excited today to welcome my guest because we're going to be talking about that. So please join me in welcoming Brendan Kane to our program today. Welcome, Brendan. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, it really is going to be so much fun talking with you because I love social media. That is my first passion. Um, You know, that's really what I love helping people with and learning about. And so I can't wait to talk to you because I know you're just going to give us so many great tips. But let me tell people a little bit about you. So Brendan Kane is a digital strategist for Fortune 500 corporations, global brands, and celebrities. He started his career in the entertainment industry, managing digital divisions for two prominent movie studios. He then went on to build applications and campaigns for celebrity clients, such as people like Taylor Swift, Rihanna, Katie Couric, Jason Stratham, and supermodel Adriana Lima. Today, Brendan is best known for recently building a million followers in 100 countries in less than 30 days. He's here today to share his framework for leveraging digital platforms to grow your brand quickly and effectively. So again, Brendan, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. You know, and it's funny, when I was reading your materials and reading your bio, I'm sorry say more mature, but even I had to go, oh my gosh, Taylor Swift. <laughs> but it's, it is something that, as we've said, every business needs to be using. And we're not talking about the superstars of the world. That, that is the platform that you have built. But the nice thing is that transitions to a smaller business, an entrepreneur because the tactics are the same. And so that's what I love about um, the strategies and, and knowledge that you'll be sharing with us. Yeah, for sure. It's, it, the, the potential is, is tremendous in terms of what can be done. And that was one of the reasons that, as you mentioned, you know, I've worked in the entertainment industry with some of the biggest celebrities and athletes and then also brands and corporations. But I really wanted to see if all of the success that I had accumulated over the years could be applied to somebody starting from scratch. And that's mm-hmm. really where the, 
the inspiration came from to run that experiment on myself because I was starting from scratch. I was starting from zero like everybody else. I was never in film or television, not a professional athlete or a rock star, and definitely wasn't a huge brand or, or corporation and really wanted to see, okay, could I have the success of working with a Taylor Swift or an MTV or a Vice or one of these companies and apply it to somebody starting from scratch? And, and that's why I set out on that journey to to run that test and experiment to first see if it was possible and then share that knowledge with everybody else. Right. Because it is kind of a, a gimme that the big names will get followers. I mean, you know, that's, that's just going to happen. So when you're able to show that the same thing happens for, you know, the, the restaurant down the street, the person who's a uh, speaker, you know, all of these various things, that's what's so cool about this. And of course, you know, everybody just probably gasped and said, one million followers, what would I do with one million followers? Okay. The point is you get the number that works for you. Absolutely. It's not everybody needs a million followers. Not everybody should put the effort into generating a million followers. And there's some businesses that I work with that I advise that don't even, don't even focus on the follower number. Like if you're just trying to sell product or build an email list, like that should be your core metric because to me, like social, as you mentioned, it's a lot of work. It's a big time investment. Mm-hmm. It, it can be a big financial investment. And I'm always about creating a, a sustainable model. So mm-hmm. really focusing on what is a company's specific business objectives, like how are they going to generate revenue? How are they going to generate that return on investment? And focus on strategies that fuel that first. Mm-hmm. And then once you have that in place, then you can focus on follower growth and engagement and views and things of that nature. Now, with that said, some people's businesses are driven by the number of followers they have. Like Mm -hmm. specifically, when you talk about the entertainment industry and being an actor or an actress or a director, like they really look at the number of followers you have. Right, that's social proof. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's social proof. And and like for myself, when after I generated a million followers in 30 days, I got a literary agent and then a publishing deal and then published Mm -hmm. my first book and I've been speaking around the world. So at the end of the day, it's like, what is your business? Like, how are you getting that return on investment? And then focus on a strategy that hits that first, and then you can diversify from that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and it's funny, there was a, a platform several years ago, and I think it just kind of finally died out last year called Clout. And it measured your social influence. And, the, and it looked at all the various platforms, how many followers you had, you know, and, and all these things. And then the really funny thing was, businesses would specifically target people who had a lot of clout because they knew that more than anything, they had word of mouth. They had people who were going to follow them and share what they posted. And so, you know, say somebody who had a lot of clout might say something about, you know, my, my local airline company here, Delta. Well, then Delta would see it and go, oh my gosh, they have a million followers. We need to make sure that we reach out to these people and make sure they're happy. Because they're going to talk to their million people, and that's going to be better than any commercial we could ever run. Absolutely, for sure. Like influencers play a huge part in in growth. Mm -hmm. I I would say that some people get too caught up in the number. They think that automatically because somebody has a million followers versus another person has twenty thousand followers, that million follower person is more valuable, Mm -hmm. which is not always the case. Because you got to understand who is their audience? Like what is their, their demographic breakdown? What part of the world do they live in? Especially when you're talking about like a small business or Mm -hmm. a local business, is it, does somebody have those followers in the area that their potential 
followers can actually come and purchase my product or service mm-hmm. uh, or do they live out of the country? So it's really getting smart about how you leverage influencers. Obviously, for the big global brands like a Nike, a Delta, uh, American Express, like they can go after that that larger number because that reach is really powerful and it touches, you know, those brands typically touch uh, across all demographics and, and different parts of the world. But mm-hmm. if you're a small business or a, a startup, being really strategic about who you're reaching out to. And I'll give you one example. So I've got a, a good friend of mine that's a partner that built a really interesting model around Instagram influencers because he started working with restaurants and small businesses and they were they were opening up restaurants and they were trying to figure out how do I get a celebrity to come to my restaurant? Because they saw they were opening restaurants in both LA and New York. And they saw that once a big celebrity attends their restaurant, generally they'll tweet about it or talk about it, or the paparazzi will take photos of them coming in and out of the restaurant. So it's, it's real, it's a real value to get somebody of that stature to come very early on. Mm-hmm. And they first started reaching out to these big celebrities and their publicists saying, Hey, we would love to, have you come to the restaurant? We'll comp your meal and all this, and nobody responded. Right. So what but they, they get did, hundreds of those a day, if not thousands. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. So what they did is they built a very smart and sophisticated model where they were able to see through Instagram who the celebrities follow, mm-hmm. and from there they would target the people that influence the celebrities. Ah. So they would go off and reach out to people that have between one thousand to maybe 15 or 20,000 followers that the celebrities are following. And those are, are generally their friends, family, uh, people that work for them, uh, people that, that, that just have encounters with them. But those are accounts that celebrities are following. So they reached out to those people and said, hey, we'd love, we just opened this new restaurant. We'd love for you to come in and check it out. And we'll give you a free meal. And they had a tremendous amount of success with that because the response rate was super high. And then what ended up happening was, they would have somebody like a Sarah Jessica Parker come into the restaurant because they would saw, see their friends posting about it on their social channels. Mm-hmm. So it's really being strategic with all of it and don't get caught up in the huge numbers if you're a small business and, and trying to figure out how to make it work for you. Right. And it's about building. You know, you 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 need to start small. And we're not saying that those people were small, you know, or insignificant. But when you aim really high, you're probably not going to get that person. But if you've built up to it, then aside from anything else, it's going to be much more valuable because they heard about it from people they trusted. And so they're thinking, okay, I'm going to go buy this product, you know, check out this restaurant, do whatever, because the people in my inner circle are talking about it. 100%. Peer-to-peer marketing is the most valuable form. And that's why I always focus on shareability of content. Like the mm-hmm. key metric that I always pay attention to in any piece of content that we're testing, producing, is how many people are sharing it. Okay. Because that's really where a lot of scale and success comes from. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to Taylor Swift, why did Taylor Swift, why was she so successful in such a short period of time? Is because she understood the value of fostering one-to-one communication with fans. Mm-hmm. She understood that each time that she signed an autograph, each time she took a photo or responded to a comment to a fan, that that fan became a brand advocate for, mm-hmm. for her. They now wanted to share Taylor's message, Taylor's music, Taylor's content with everybody they knew. And because this was happening and, and she started her career with social media really starting to scale and grow, it was now becoming an instance of 
these new fans and brand advocates not just sharing with three to four of their closest friends around them, but they're posting to their social channels, mm-hmm. reaching hundreds, thousands, and hundreds of thousands of people. And I think that that is really the tremendous opportunity that social media and digital platforms provide in general is like, if you think back before social uh, platforms 15 years ago, when you wanted to get a message out into the world, like all you could really do is get on a soapbox and speak to the people around you, or you would hope to get on a TV show or a radio show. But today, everybody has a voice. Everybody has the potential to reach hundreds, thousands, or tens of thousands of people. So how do you take advantage of that? How do you, t- how do you turn your current customers or your potential customers into your brand advocates? And that's where we see that exponential growth of whether it's social followings, product sales, or website traffic, email list is really focusing on how do we create compelling content that offers value that gets people to share our message or service for us. Right. And it is about kind of that third party type of, of, uh, promotion. You know, uh, Taylor Swift can say, hey, I have a new record, you know, buy it. And we all go, okay, whatever. But if our friends, and I'm using that the capital F as in a Facebook friend, so maybe not anybody I, I even know, but if they say, oh my gosh, this is the greatest new song in the world, I'm like, ooh, I must check it out. Um, you know, and, and or same with a restaurant, same with whatever. It When that kind of unbiased person even if they're just sharing, as you mentioned, you know, they're sharing an original post from, from that other person or business, you're thinking, wow, okay, well, Bob liked it, Brendan liked it, Sue liked it, I need to at least check it out. Yeah, it provides a, a tremendous amount of, of clout and credibility when it's peer-to-peer versus just direct marketing. Now, that's mm-hmm. not to say that direct marketing doesn't work, it does, it's, it's very successful if you have the the right content. Mm-hmm. But when you get that personal recommendation, it, it definitely carries a, a tremendous amount of weight in that decision-making process. And I think that that's why so many people talk about the value of word-of-mouth marketing, but I think that very few people master that mm-hmm. uh, because it's not easy. It's not easy to get right. somebody to share your product or service with somebody else because uh, first and foremost, you know, people realize that they're going to be judged by their recommendations. And mm-hmm. secondarily, I feel like the content that most companies are producing is, is not valuable enough, is not enticing enough to get somebody to share it. But with social and digital platforms, like you'll see that exponential scale when you really hit it on the, on the head and, and, and are successful in producing a piece of content. You know, I have partners of mine that, that generating, are generating billions of views a year and some people are generating billions of views a month just purely because they have figured out how to get people to share their content at the highest possible velocity. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start at the, the beginning, you know, with, with kind of the concept. So, you know, as you said, you as you, not a celebrity, not an athlete, just, you know, I'm not going to say plain old ordinary because you're not, but, you know, you, you, everybody knows what we mean. You know, you, you were the average business person. You know, and, and, and so you set out to have 1 million followers in 30 days. How did you, you know, let the, walk us through a little bit of the steps. Now you have written a book about this. And so we don't want to give all the secrets away because we want people to check out the book. But how did you get 1 million followers in 30 days? So first off, I just want to say, it's like, I didn't wake up one morning and be like, I'm just going to do this and just <laughs> like, this I, is my whim of the day. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I, it, I spent about three and a half years building a set of mm-hmm. testing methodologies right. and, 
and predictive calculations on top of the Facebook advertising platform, which also connects to both Instagram, WhatsApp, and Messenger. Mm -hmm. So powers all of those. And in working with celebrities and journalists and corporations, I really had to get good at testing content at scale. Mm -hmm. Is because again, going back to that shareability element is there's only a few people on the planet that can just wake up and are just creative geniuses and right. can automatically produce content that's shared tens of thousands of times, if not hundreds of thousands of times. For the rest of us, which is about, I would say, 98% of the people creating content on the planet, it's difficult, as we've mm -hmm. talked about. It's like difficult to get people to share. So I knew the only way to really solve that problem was to test, test at scale. Not, hey, how do we just test one piece of content and just see what happens? But take one piece of content and test it 100, 200, 300 different ways to see how you need to package your, theme, your, your products, your services, and what are the themes and stories and, and formats that work the best to really engage in that audience. So that's the system that I built that would allow me to take one piece of content and turn it into hundreds of variations. Now, that, that's, that sounds daunting and it sounds uh, like a lot of work but it's not like the system that we devised. And because the Facebook advertising platform is so powerful, you can create hundreds of variations of a single piece of content in less than 20 or 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I'll break that down in a second. But I first just want to say that we use the advertising platform, not as a media buying tool, not as an advertising tool, but more as a market research tool. And that's the beauty and the power of the platform that few people realize is the power of your ability to learn how your content performs under certain situations with mm -hmm. specific audiences in different parts of the world and how you can take those learnings to fuel your content strategy and then fuel the overall growth, including organic growth of your brand. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about a variation, there's five key elements to a variation. So we, you have the creative itself. So you have a video, you have an image, you have an article, whatever you're producing around your brand. And let's just take a video, for example. So we always recommend creating as many versions of that video. So we may create five or six or seven variations of a specific video. And so the different versions of that is like the first three seconds. The first three seconds of video is super critical. You have less than three seconds to capture people's attention, specifically when you're talking about Facebook or Instagram. So we'll test different intros to that video. We'll test whether we put meme cards on the top, which is kind of like a burned in headline, mm -hmm. uh, what captions we put on the bottom, the color of the captions. So that's the first element of a variation is the creative itself, where you'll create a, a few different versions of it. The second element of a variation is the headline. So the text above that piece of content, in, in, the, in the case of Facebook or Instagram, the, the caption below it. So we'll test different... Uh, headlines around that. And even sometimes we'll just change one word mm -hmm. and we can see an impact on, on performance. Then the third element of a variation is the demographic profile that you're pushing the content to. Are you pushing it to males or females? What is a specific age group? You can control all of that. And then the fourth element of a variation is the interest level where you can choose what products, services, uh, different elements that make up this person. You know, what competitors do they buy? What movies or television do they consume? Uh, what Are they college educated? Did they go to graduate school? Are they single? Are they divorced? Are, are they married? Like all of those elements are, are controllable based upon kind of the, the confines of uh, the, the platform that Facebook has created. 
And then the final element of a variation is the geolocation, which is like what part of the world they live in, down to the specific zip code. Mm -hmm. So when you take each of those five different elements of a variation, they become interchangeable. So you could take one content version and change out the interest level or change out the demographics or change out the geolocation. And that's where with that, that interchangeable nature, you can scale many variations of a single piece of content really to understand how your content's performing. Because sometimes it can be misleading where you put a great piece of content out there and it just doesn't resonate. And it may right. not resonate because it's not being pushed to the right demographics mm-hmm. or the right interest level or the right location. So this, what we say is it gives it more chances to win. So if you're putting a hundred variations of a single piece of content that gives you a hundred different ways to win. Now, if after those hundred variations, it doesn't win, it doesn't produce the results. And that's telling you something about your content that it's not performing. And then you have to go back and understand why isn't perform, why isn't it performing? What's not working about that piece of content. And then take that next iteration of producing content and test it again and testing again. And the most important element is you have to learn from your test. And it's the right. same thing in, in business. You have to learn from your failures. So in each test that doesn't work, why didn't it work? But just as important, if something does work, figure out, well, why did this work? Why did this resonate? Why did this mm-hmm. piece of content over here get a thousand people right. to share it? Can and, we replicate it? Yeah. And then the other piece of content got zero shares. Like, okay, understand why that worked. And then like you said, replicate it and just keep doing it over and over again until you can start doing it on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. And that's where real growth on social and digital platforms come from is this very strategic approach of testing, learning and iterating until you find that format, you find that theme, you find that story that works in fueling the growth of your product, your service or your brand. Mm -hmm. You know, and and for people whose eyes just cross thinking, oh my gosh, we do this every day, folks, you know, or we should be, let me put it that way, because it's, you know, in, in marketing terms, it's called A-B testing. You know, you test this, you test that, you see what works, different picture, different headline, you know, whatever it is. And if we're spending time and money on something, then we should be doing that. You know, direct mail piece, great example. You know, you send out one that has this message, you send out another that has a different message, maybe different size, you know, all these various things. And, you know, the the good thing now is you can do very specific type of things. You know, when I started in this business, you had to do mass mailings of, you know, 30, 40,000 and hope that you kind of every once in a while got lucky. But now you can get so specific. And as you said, you know, we can get down to neighborhoods, zip codes, people, Um, you know, and and that did bring up a question, though, as as we were, were going through this. Did you do these as paid boosted posts or were they just straight organic posts or a combination? So Facebook through, so I use the advertising platform and I don't use boosted posts. I think boosts don't really serve clients. So we go in and use the ads manager as a way to create these campaigns because so Facebook in its uh, brilliant way of building product created something called the dark post Mm -hmm. and the dark post uh, extends to Instagram. It's Facebook and Instagram. And what that allows you to do is to create a post that is not published to your public timeline ah, or to your mm-hmm. feed mm-hmm. on on not feed to your profile. So you can create a dark post that is not published to the people that you that are following your page unless you choose to make it mm-hmm. uh, public. 
And what that allows you to do is going back to the testing is take one piece of content and test it a hundred different ways. Because obviously if you posted a hundred variations of content to your main timeline or profile, everybody would unfollow you because it's just, you you'd just be spamming them. Mm -hmm. so with the, the advertising platform, you can build out these variations of dark posts and run them as ads. Mm -hmm. But again, we're not using it really from a standpoint of uh, an advertising tool. It's more about the market research. Now you can still take all of these learnings and use them for advertising purposes, right. which I highly recommend. But really the beauty and the, the ultimate value that few people realize in the platform is how much you can really learn about your content, how much you can really learn about your audience by doing these real-time tests and getting feedback from either current customers or potential customers that you're trying to reach. Even like one of the most valuable things that I do with all of my clients that I, I'm surprised more people don't do is, is start targeting your competitors' customers. Right. So if you're a And we see that, right? You know, we'll be in Facebook. I'm like, well, now, wait a minute. I just went to, you know, X site and now I'm seeing something from their competitor. That's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. And, and that is a lot of like retargeting, remarketing to get you to buy their products and services. What mm -hmm. I highly suggest people do is to do that because that's a very powerful tool, but also to generate those learnings. So if you're a shoe company, for example, like I did some work with Skechers and you're trying to gain market share against Reebok, Adidas, and Nike, start testing your content against those audiences, testing mm -hmm. your content against the customers and seeing who's responding and how they're responding and, and leverage those learnings to fuel further content decisions and also business decisions as well. Right. You know, and, and we should be looking at our competitors, uh, you know, and, and, and it's funny because, you know, earlier we were talking about the number of followers and that tends to be one of the, the hitches. We will look at our competitors and go, oh my gosh, they have a million people. They have a thousand, they have whatever. So we have to strive for that. Well, as you said, just because they have those numbers certainly doesn't mean that they're good numbers. Um, you know, I remember when Facebook first started, and, and that you can still do this to some degree, but people really did it a lot, you know, initially, you bought followers. Um, you know, and, and, and so somebody could drastically inflate the number of, of fans, fan, you know, followers, whatever platform we're talking about, by buying them. But those people had absolutely no intention of either sharing your content or buying something from you, you know, it was just that number, and you know, and, and so that's where you know it is. As you said at the start, we have to really look at what a good number is, but we should be looking at our competitors. You know, I always wonder when people say, "I don't want to look at my competitors." Why not? <laughs> yeah, and to comment further on something that you said is there. There's different ways to acquire followers. So obviously buying followers is generally buying fake followers mm -hmm. because even through the Facebook and advertising platform, they have a, a page like ad unit where mm -hmm. you can advertise your content to get somebody to opt in. And we do use that, that ad unit because we, be, we believe in it. Mm -hmm. Secondarily, you can just do it purely organically. But I will say that even people that generate audience purely organically doesn't mean that that audience is going to buy their product right. or service because their content strategy is not strong mm -hmm. and because they're not positioning and packaging their, their products or services in the right way. So you will see a lot of high profile brands and corporations and media companies that have significant followings, but the engagement is not there or 
the, the, the translation to success and sales isn't there either. And that's because they haven't taken the time to really get strategic about, about their content and making sure that they are delivering content that engages people on social audiences. I mean, I've been in, pulled into so many situations with very big major corporations that are billion dollar corporations that have scaled off of you know, television and print. And now they're trying to diversify into social and digital platforms. And their idea is, okay, well, let's just translate our TV and print materials or strategies to those social platforms. And it falls completely flat. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, Facebook does have, you know, that, that other thing that they do where when you're in your personal feed, you know, something will come up and, and it will be showing that, uh, you know, X company, five of your friends, and then it will give their names, of course, they've liked that page. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, well, if Bob, Sue, and, and Bill have liked it, I must like it too. I mean, that's their philosophy is, you know, a little peer pressure there. And so those are fans that, you know, may or may not ever care about the page, but they liked it just because their friends did. So, you know, that's where numbers get really tricky. Yeah, again, it, it, and that's where I focus on shareability of content. Mm -hmm. So when I go to a competitor's page or analyzing content, I'm looking at what is the engagement rate? What is the shareability around their content? Mm -hmm. Now, that to me is the most valuable metric that I pay attention to, but that's the world that I live in. If you're an e-commerce business, is shareability really the most important metric? Not necessarily. It's direct bottom line sales is most. Now, I will say that there's companies out there that just focus on just direct response and through mm -hmm. advertising campaigns and they don't care about shareability and they, they, they're wildly successful. But at the same time, there's companies when they focus, like even e-commerce companies, when they focus on the shareability, they're wildly successful as well because it brings down their overall costs and their marketing costs. Mm -hmm. And I feel like from a, from a longevity standpoint uh, of building a brand, even if it's just an e-commerce company, getting people to share and comment on your content really fuels the overall long-lasting growth because I think a lot of people focus on very short-term ROI revenue generating and re generating goals and tactics, which are obviously valuable, but then they, they don't pay attention to the longer version or the longer vision of their business and how to build a long-lasting brand that people are tied into. Mm -hmm. And going back to Taylor Swift, I think that's one of the brilliant things that she has done over the course of her career and why she will continue to have longevity is because she truly cares about her customers, which are her fans. Right. That's why she spends the time to throw parties for them, spends the time to sign autographs or take photos is because she understands the, the value of that and mm -hmm. the perception of that through her entire fan base. It shows that she actually cares about her customers and about her fans. Right. And I think that there's other companies out there that don't focus on that and, and can lose, lose that focus and lose that edge over the long term. Mm-hmm. And it is all about being authentic. You know, she could have just have easily posted, thank you so much, thank you so much, thank you so much. You know, and, and we were, oh, yeah, whatever. But she, you know, and she's not the only celebrity, of course, that does this or brand or whatever. When they take the time to show that they really did interact and that they cared, um, you know, that's where you're thinking, wow. You know, I just saw something on Facebook yesterday where a friend of mine was here at Hartsfield Jackson Airport and didn't have a good experience. And he tagged Hartsfield Jackson in his post, and they responded. 
and they they as in the airport entity responded and they first thing they did was they apologized you know they said we are so sorry that this happened here is what we are trying to do to fix this please contact us you know because and and so they reached back out to him and it was like wow you know and 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 so everybody who read that went wow they could have just as easily ignored it especially because it was a complaint um but the fact that they responded and responded in a way that that really showed that they paid attention to it that was what really made it stand out yeah a friend of mine is uh, the chief product officer of a company called fab fit fund mm-hmm. and they're a huge e-commerce company they 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 generated a billion dollar valuation under 4 years and one of the practices that they have internally is is that every person at the company all the way from the CEO down has to spend at least 20 or 30 minutes a day going through the forums and and engaging with customers and responding to customers and i think that's one of the reasons that they're so successful is their customers love their product and right. service but they love the, the the way that they're treated by the company and they, and they and the company and all the employees intently listen to how the customers are reacting to each box that's sent out of what they like, what they don't like, and had built a relationship. My friend has like a nickname within the forums from, from the, the customers and the members that they have as a part of their community. And I think that that just pays such huge, huge dividends over the long run. Like I'm focused heavily on Instagram growth right now. And I respond, respond to every direct message myself mm-hmm. through that platform because I really want to, foster and cultivate uh, that audience. Right. Well, and, you know, let's be honest, that takes time. But you're building a relationship, you know, and, and it's, it's just the same as if somebody called and left you a voicemail and you ignored it. Or somebody sent you an email and you just typed thanks and responded. I mean, you know, we need that human interaction, especially when it is a company um, you know, or a brand. I mean, let's be honest. Taylor Swift is a brand. Katie Crick is a brand. You know, yes, they are people, but you know, you, they're, they're kind of a, a company in, into themselves. And so when there is that personal connection, it just makes such an impression on us. Definitely. It's, it, it's, I think one of the most powerful things of human interaction, and I'm a huge believer in in behavioral psychology, and I study it intently and apply it to everything I do, is the 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 power of being heard. I think people sometimes they they just want to be heard. I mean, one of my favorite right. books of all time is How to Win Friends and Influence People, mm-hmm. and uh, there there's an excerpt on on in the book about a story, and I can't remember the exact company, but it was an ind- individual customer that was just so angry and so frustrated, and he was I think he was a pretty decent sized customer that said he wasn't ever going to purchase from them again. And I forget who was who it was within the company. It was, it was somebody high up invited him to come into the office and just let this guy vent for, for an hour and just let him yell, let him scream mm-hmm. until the end when he felt he was heard. Then he went off and started purchasing more from them again. Right. Again, I think it's the same instance from the example of your friend that had a, a bad experience at the airport. I think the fact that they just responded and say, hey, we hear you, mm-hmm. and yes, this is not acceptable, and we apologize for it, just that alone takes that edge off. Right. It takes that negative experience down probably by like 90%, if not mm-hmm. 100%. Right. So I think it's just super critical just to hear your customers, mm-hmm. both the positive and the negative, and, and give them that opportunity to 
engage and, and connect with you in that way. Mm-hmm. Well, and along those same lines, you know, you, you talked about having brand ambassadors, your followers, you know, when, when they're happy, if something might go awry, you know, say somebody complains about something, they will jump to your defense also. Um, you know, and, and that's where it's, it's fun to watch is, you know, sometimes you don't even have to say anything because the, your friends and your, your fans are the ones saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're normally a really good restaurant. It must have just been an anomaly that evening or, you know, something along those lines. And, and it's just like an advertisement. We see an ad, we go, yeah, whatever. We, one of our, you know, someone we know in my little air quotes says, hey, it's a great place. We, we believe it much more readily. Definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your Facebook page and you do have 1.5 plus million people who are, are fans of your page. And so then I was looking through here and, and I, you know, just kind of scrolling through and, and you talk about having high engagement posts. And so I found this post and, and so it's a picture of you. You've got your headphones on, you're doing something with your phone and all it says is focus on what you love, the rest will follow. And then the text that you wrote with it, and I'm, you know, obviously this is part of part of why I'm talking about this is it's short. This isn't that you're writing war and peace here. And so your text says, chase what drives you, what you love to do, what makes you excited to get up every morning. Keep on this path, put in the hard work, and everything else will fall into place. And then you have your Instagram account. And people go like, oh, isn't that sweet? Isn't that nice? Well, 35,000 people saw this post. 160 people commented. But here's the biggie, and this is exactly what you've been talking about. And so I, you know, I, but I'm, I'm, you know, telling this to our listeners. It was shared one thousand two hundred and four times, and you know, it's it's simple post. It's it, it's not selling anything. That's one of the keys. You know, it's not. Oh, and by the way, I have this book. Um, you know, and and but people obviously love your content. And you know, I glanced through some of the the comments that people made. Very sweet, very nice. You know, all these various things. And so that's the thing that I think people need to to realize is we can do this in a way that we're not killing ourselves doing it. You, know, I think we make it far more difficult than it really needs to be. But it still has to be done strategically. Definitely. And I'm actually running a private workshop for a, a company next week that they, I mean, they're, they're doing well. They're at 100 million in revenue a year, but they want to get to a billion and mm-hmm. they want to leverage social and digital to do that. And they have not been successful thus far. And one of the things that I, I've noticed and one of the biggest things that I'm working on is all they do is post product shots of their content and social. And oh, it's like, uh-huh. Buy from me, buy from me, buy from me. Yeah, like who cares? Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, you need to earn the right to do Mm -hmm. that. And that's where where I have partners that produce viral videos for some of the biggest brands and corporations in the world. And and a lot of the practices that we use is we'll create valuable content like that that photo quote Mm -hmm. and just engage people, like create something compelling that they want to engage with and participate in and provide value to them. Right. And once you've done that, then what you can do is retarget all those people that you've been engaging and providing value with and, and then follow up with, hey, I've got a book or I've got mm-hmm. a product or I've got these things. But you need to kind of earn that right mm-hmm. in order to market to them. Otherwise, like social traffic is notoriously called what's uh, so cold traffic, mm-hmm. which is it's you're, you're in an ecosystem where people are not looking to buy. They're not they're not looking to automatically purchase a product, especially from... Right. Or wanting brand. to be entertained. 
Yeah, from a brand or a company that that that's new to them. Like even if you're even if you're a follower, doesn't mean you've warmed up to the fact that you're willing to buy. So it's really about engaging them with content on a consistent basis that's valuable to them. That's providing either insight to to some type of situation or problem or type some type of solution or it's something that just entertains them mm-hmm. so that when you get to that fact or then when you get to that element of entertaining them then you can go back and retarget so to give you a specific example so my friend is the chief strategy officer of a company called shareability where they create viral content for the the largest brands in the world. And Mm -hmm. one of their clients is cricket wireless Mm. and they did a campaign with John Cena, the, the wrestler wrestler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who's now, who's now a big actor. And they, the the first videos that they did with them was this concept of they had fans show up to an event and start talking about why they love John Cena. And then John Cena would, he would, uh, would come out of the room, uh, blast through this this thin uh, paper, and it surprised the fans. Mm-hmm. And it was about the fans engaging with John and the kind of the emotional reaction to him. And then the follow up video was John was actually surprised they brought him in, and he was listening to these stories. He didn't know what he was getting into. He thought he was going to do the same thing he was doing in, in the second video, but he was put again, behind like this wall. And these fans were coming in and reading these emotional stories about how they impacted their life. Like there was mm-hmm. one kid that was suffering from cancer and was dying of cancer and like reading a letter about how, how John inspired him and kept him going. And it showed John like almost crying in, in all these situations because it was so emotional. So those mm-hmm. two videos went crazy viral. I think they, right. they generated like a hundred million views uh, each video because it was being shared at the high, highest velocity, but it wasn't selling cricket wireless. It wasn't selling, Hey, go sign up for a mobile plan. Mm-hmm. But after they, they had generated those success then they created more direct response content targeting the people that engaged with those videos. And th- those ads were very successful because they had earned the right. They had provided value to those fans and built that brand loyalty to be able to go back and say, Hey, listen, why don't you check out and sign up for Cricket Wireless? Mm-hmm. Well, and and it was, you know, I think that's one of the things that sometimes people forget because they do the extreme, you know, well, we're not supposed to sell, um, you know, and, and so then they don't sell and people, you know, they might share their, their content, but it's, then it's just content and, you know, you're, you're not doing anything. Um, you know, looking through your page again, you've got about one in every 10 posts you're talking about your book. But again, you're, it's a very subtle thing about your book. You're sharing a quote from the book, you know, some things like that. So people do get the idea, hey, you know, you've got a book that you can buy, but it's, it's, you're not hitting them over the head with, I have a book, go buy my book. Hey, hey, you know, I have a book, um, you know, and, 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 you know, some of your images are showing you speaking. So then, you know, people are getting the idea, oh, okay, well, you're also a public speaker. Uh, you know, all these various things. And, you know, we, I can't say it enough. You have to do this very strategically. And that is really the point of what you're talking about is we can't just be willy nilly about this, you know, and think, okay, well, today I'm going to do this and tomorrow I'm going to do that. And because then we're going to say, well, it didn't work. So I'm never going to go back to Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever again. Um, because, you know, when we tinker with it, we aren't going to get good results. Yeah, you hit it on the head is like most people 
think that it just doesn't work that they try a few things and they're like, Oh, Facebook doesn't work. The advertising platform doesn't work or LinkedIn isn't a powerful tool. And they just haven't been trying enough. I can't Mm -hmm. tell you how many, I mean, I think in the past three years I've tested hundred over 150,000 variations of content and maybe less than 1% of that works. So it just, it's really getting in there and testing and trying things and learning and, and, and figuring out what it takes to succeed because there is no there's there's no luck in the fact that Facebook is valued at what it is in, in the hundreds of billions of dollars. It's because their ad platform is the most powerful on the platform right. on, on the world. It's because it works. Mm-hmm. And because it doesn't hasn't worked for you, doesn't mean it doesn't work. Like I somebody was telling me the story about this e-commerce company called Wish that I had never heard about. And their revenue is in the billions already. And it, the whole wow. business is built off of Facebook advertising. Hmm. And you look at all of the Facebook oh, I've seen them. I've seen their ads. Now, I, now that you say that, I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you look at just like the gaming industry and the, the app industry was really built off of that advertising platform. And there's other companies as well. Like my friend that created FabFitFun, like they built a billion dollar e-commerce company all with digital advertising. Mm -hmm. And they're just really smart. So it does work. Mm -hmm. It just, if it's not working for you right now is ask yourself, did I hire the wrong person? Am I using the right right or wrong content? Mm -hmm. Am I really testing and learning? Am I trying different things? So I think that that's that's a big mistake in a, in a lost opportunity for a lot of businesses out there today. Mm-hmm. You know, and let's be honest, Facebook wants you to buy ads because that's where they make their money. So they're helpful. You know, they, they that is one of the few ways where you might actually get to speak to a person is, you know, when you're working through an ad campaign, there you know, you get help from them. And there's, you know, obviously a lot of online help too and and things like that, but they want you to be happy because then you'll spend money again. So, you know, it's, I tell people it's okay to reach out to the Facebook folks. I mean, you know, it's the same thing if you were doing television, advertising, radio, you know, print, whatever, your ad sales rep had better be helping you to be successful with your ad campaign so that you do it again. A hundred percent. I would say though, just like we don't really use the, the ad reps for, resources on how to implement strategy mm-hmm. we use them more for like technical glitches and right. bugs because mm-hmm. I, I find like the strategy side of things and how you get good at it is by a learning from your competitors and b mm-hmm. going out there to people that have done it and that are successful and mm-hmm. the the ad reps at facebook they they really haven't had to go out there right. and make it successful i mean they're mm-hmm. and let me preface it there there are teams within facebook that work with very large companies and organizations that are wicked smart and some right. of the best, the best people on the planet at that. But when you're, I just want to to caveat that by saying that if you're a small business or somebody just starting yeah. out, I would use them more for kind of like, how do I use the platform mm-hmm. rather than how do I use it strategically? Right. Not to say that you can't get information out of them, but to me, it's like, go learn from the people that have done it. Mm-hmm. Learn from the people that have had success and that their livelihood is, based upon whether or not the their advertising is working for them on the platform. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you know, let's be honest. If you're running a $100 ad campaign, you're probably not going to get a lot of attention from them. If you're running a million-dollar ad campaign, they pay attention to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, you know, and, and it's not to say that they don't pay attention. Right. It's just the level of, of rep that you're getting mm-hmm. access to. And I don't want to, like, listen, I have a very 
love-hate relationship with the advertising platform. Again, I think it's the most powerful and one of the most valuable tools on the planet, but the system's always changing and breaking mm-hmm. and all these things. So, But it, it's, it's with the understanding that they've scaled from a small startup to one of the biggest companies in the world. So mm-hmm. you're going to have those problems. I don't right. fault them for it. It's, it's a headache and a pain sometimes, but you got to realize that the level of scale that they're de- dealing with is oh, just tremendous. Right. Well, and they're continually making changes, not to annoy us. You know, sim- sometimes it seems like that, but they're making changes to make it better. Um, you know, and, and, you know, so that's, the, but sometimes it takes a while to catch up and, you know, all those various things. But, um, but yeah, it's just, to me, this is fascinating because it is something that is so fluid and so dynamic and, you know, and, and, but it does make it more difficult as the small business owner, as, you know, the, the company that's trying to use this because it, you have to keep up on it, um, you know, and, and whether it's, okay, you know, hey, this type of ad campaign worked this month. Why didn't it work? You know, it, it, it didn't work last month. It works this month. You know, it, it, it is continually changing. Um, so you have to keep up on those things. 100%. And one, one thing that people say is, oh, I'm just going to hire an expert in the space, which, which is good. Uh, and I, well, listen, I hire experts all the time and people hire me as well. But I think it's also important that you get a, at least a base level understanding right. of how the platforms work. Because mm-hmm. you, if you don't understand how the platforms will work, even from a, from a very primitive level, then you just take whatever somebody tells you and, and you just have to trust it. Versus mm-hmm. the more you know about the platforms itself, the more educated you get, the more intelligent you can get in terms of who you're hiring, why you're hiring them, and if they're not successful, are they not successful because you're not providing the, the side of the equation that you need to in terms of the content? Or is it not succeeding because they're just not the best at, at that? Right. And that's where I've kind of transitioned my career into more thought leadership of speaking and writing the book and running workshops is I want to educate as many people as possible with everything that I've learned so that they can make the best decisions going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to the fact that like not every strategy is cut out for every business and every person. And I, I really get annoyed when people claim that this is the only way to do something. Right. This is the only way to be successful. And there's a way that I structured my book too is I think 30% of the book is me and my strategy of how I gained a million followers. But then I went out and interviewed all of my top partners that have mm-hmm. had tremendous success and breaking down their strategies and how they approach things. And I'm learning thing, new things every day because you have to look at different ways of achieving things. And and not just take an outside-the-box solution and just try and force it to work for your specific business objectives and goals. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and, you know, you might need to hire somebody to, to start it, to get it going, you know, to even, you know, to, to manage it, all of those things. But as we mentioned, there still needs to be that personal touch, that CEO needs to respond, that head of sales, that, you know, HR person, whoever, they still need to be in there and responding. And, you know, no matter how good that third-party company is, and I say that as a third-party company that does these things, we can't respond sometimes with that personal touch. Um, now, you know, we really need to get to know our customers, our clients that well that we can, but they shouldn't just turn it over to us. Um, you know, that there does need to be that interaction. Um, you know, and, and that's typically a lot of times where I have seen people get the most frustrated is they will say, well, I hired X company to, to do my social media. And I will say, what do you think? Oh, it's horrible. It's awful. 
well, what did they say? You know, did they give you a report? Um, they're coming up with content on their own. What do you mean they're coming up with content on their own? <laughs> you know, and, and I'm trying to not bash the other companies, but they just turned it over to them. And, and it really does need to be a partnership. So, you know, if you're out there and you're thinking, hey, you know, I want to work with a third party person, we're not saying don't do that. But remember, it needs to be a partnership. A hundred percent. And I've made those mistakes myself where you just be like, oh, I just want to hand this all over to you and call mm-hmm. it a day. And those partnerships typically fail miserably. Like I, I can tell you, I've got a team of five people right now that are producing content for me and the clients I work with. And I oversee and comment on every piece of content that mm-hmm. is produced because you got to have that hands-on approach and, and also looking at the data of what worked and what didn't work so that you can really get an understanding of, of how your brand is performing. And it helps you, even if you're the CEO of a company or business development, it gives you a good indication of how people are interacting with your content, your product or service, how to position it. And it just it's an extremely valuable tool to fuel the overall growth of all departments. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if you are the CEO, the, the whoever that's responding, you need to let people know that's who you are. You know, all of a sudden it flashed into my mind. There was a company, and this was several years ago, where the CEO had a persona and he would go into all the various places and just say such glowing things about his company and he would defend people. We never told people he was the CEO. And, you know, he just acted basically like he was Joe Schmo off the street. So then when people found out, then, you know, any any type of personal relationship that he had built up was gone. Um, you know, they, they just assumed, well, hey, you know, he was fake and, and all of those various things. So it comes back to that word. You have to be authentic. I mean, if you're responding as the CEO of the company, let them know you're responding as, you know, hi, this is, you know, is, is Bob. I'm, I am the CEO. I take your concerns or your, your praise, you know, very seriously. Um, you know, and, and that's okay. It's scary. And I think that's probably one of the, the things that people get worried about. They, oh, they don't want to put themselves out there. Well, you, you have to. This is your business. You need to make it successful. 100%. Excuse me. Well, you know, we we talked about the fact that you worked with celebrities. What are some tips that they did that we can translate and use ourselves? Yeah, so going back to Taylor Swift is that that value and importance of fostering one-to-one communication to form brand advocates is is one of the the, the top things that, that I've learned. And the power and the value of that. And then secondarily is the power and value of that word of mouth marketing is how you turn those brand advocates into people that want to share your content message for you and making sure that once you have those brand advocates that you're actually fueling it with content that they want to share. So they may love your brand. They may love your product or your Mm -hmm. service, but if you don't give them something compelling to share, then they're not going to. It's like right. if you put like a 15 second TV spot or just a banner ad out there, nobody wants to share that. Mm-hmm. But if it's a compelling piece of content that provides valuable insights or some, some type of entertainment value, then yeah, they're more likely to share it with people and, and really get behind it. Right. And you need to remember they're putting their reputation on the line. You know, if it, I don't want to be the person that they go, oh my God, you like that? Or, you know... All these various things. So it, it, you, you have to remember it's kind of a symbiotic relationship. 100%. I think that one of the, the extreme examples of that is just uh, politics, is, is when you have a friend that shares some type of political-based content that you don't agree with, it kind of turns you off. Right. It's the same thing with a product or a service. Is like 
they're putting their 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 opinion their their thoughts their their feelings into how they view your product your brand and your service which says a lot about them as an individual mm-hmm. and like uh, the the perfect example that happened recently was Nike doing the Colin Kaepernick advertising and if you right. don't know Colin Kaepernick he was the the NFL player that was kneeling during the national anthem and no team would uh, sign him, even though mm-hmm. he was a, a, a quarterback, quarterback that should be playing in the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, I mean, he's, he's, he was a top prospect. Like mm-hmm. he could have been signed by a team and he wasn't right. signed because of, of the kneeling. And, and, and Nike took a huge risk in this campaign around him and it paid dividends. It's mm-hmm. like, it was extremely profitable and successful for, for the company. But they were aligning themselves with a bit of a controversial cause, but they right. knew that the audience that they try, were trying to reach would really get behind that. And the campaign was wildly successful because people were getting behind it and sharing it and, and standing behind the message that they were trying to push out into the world. Right. You know, and they probably did lose some people. Sure. But, you know, they, you know you're, that's going to happen no matter what. I love the ones, you know, that like in my feeds that would say, I've never bought Nike, but now I never will. Uh, okay. Well, you weren't their target market, so they really don't care. A hundred percent. I mean, they were very strategic. They knew exactly the audience that it was going to resonate with, and they knew the audience that they were going to get backlash from. And obviously, they're a very uh, analytical driven company, and they knew the decision they were making. Was it still a risk? Yes, it mm-hmm. was still a risk, but they knew who it was going to resonate with and, and why it would be a powerful step forward with their brand. Right. Well, and I mean, you, you talk about word of mouth, whether you liked it or you loved it, it got shared a lot. Yeah. You know, and, and then of course you had all of the, the, the other things that came from it, the memes that people made up. Oh, heavens, those were just, you know, I, I love seeing a lot of those, um, you know, a cat, you know, or, you know, a, a different celebrity or something like that. I mean, it just, it, and, but the whole time it made you think about Nike. Yep, for sure. Well, oh my gosh, Brendan, we are almost at the top of the hour. This is so cool. I could just continue talking about this all the time. So we have to have you on. And, and especially since I haven't read your book, I need to read your book and have you on again. But tell us, you know, the one thing I never asked and I usually ask at the start is, why did you decide that this was something you wanted to do? Well, to me, like I've, I've spent the better part of the last 15 years in digital and social and have been more on the end of executing for clients. and where I see my, where I'm really best serving the world and, and what my true passion is, is, is to really be in the thought leadership space, is to share information, inspire people, and motivate people to take action. So that's really what set me on the journey to do the book and speaking around the world and running workshops. Is That's, that's what really fuels me. That's where mm-hmm. I want to spend my time going forward. And I feel like I could have the, the most positive impact on the world doing that. Great. Well, how do people find you and connect with you online? Sure. So they, if they're interested in the book, the, the book is in all retail stores and on Amazon, or they could go to the book website, 1millionfollowers.com with one spelled out, or they can direct message me on Instagram, or they can email me uh, directly, B as in boy, at seekers, S-E-A-K-E-R-S.com. So that's B at seekers.com. Great. Well, this really has been fascinating. And, and as I said, I've, I've loved talking about this. Is there 
Any final words that you want to leave our listeners with? I would just say always be learning, always be testing, always be trying new things. Because even if you figure out something that's working for you today, that the landscape of social and digital changes so often that you've got to be constantly challenging yourself and, and trying new ways to put content out in the world that really resonates with not just your the potential customers that you're trying to reach, but also those brand advocates and the current customers that you have. Great. Well, this really has been fun, and I can't wait to talk to you again. But I am Deb Creer. I've been having a fabulous time talking with Brendan Kane. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.